I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's always sex with you, isn't it, Chris? It's always sex, yeah. Yeah. Monday, which means it's time for the Front Free Weekend Review. With me, Adam Boltwood, the one and only Lawrence McKenna. Mm, ciao. And, of course, the man of the legend, Chris Hennage. Good evening. Truly a global podcast tonight. I'm here in London, as always. Lawrence, out in Italy. What are you doing out there, Lawrence? Uh, just stuff. Uh, no, I'm, I'm shooting some stuff for a new documentary for the Football Republic. Um, and courtesy of Adidas, uh, we've been some see some football already and we're off to see some more football in the Champions League tomorrow night between Juventus and Porto. Love the return leg. Stuff. So it is good. Adidas have really sorted out the front three guys. Mm. So we, will, we will get on to that game uh, a little later on. Uh, Chris as well, out in the US still. Enjoying yourself out there, yes. Chris? Yeah, it's good. Um, second week of MLS is is in the books, as they say here, um, and I'm watching a frightening amount of talk radio, sports talk radio, to be specific. A frightening amount, eh? How much just is on the a, TV all the time? How much is a frightening amount? How do you how do you quantify that? There's just I was talking to my brother about this today because he was asking how I'm watching the games. There's so many channels that the football is sort of spread across, but then also every sports channel at some point during the day seems to have its own talk radio show which is i mean it's the, so the thing is actually the camera is in the studio and they're being filmed but there's some who am i watching them in a cowherd and whitlock i don't know who they they sound like cops to me they don't sound like sports presenters but yeah it's pretty mad we will be talking uh, mls a little later on uh, as well as all the action from around europe uh, premier league as well this weekend some games going on and of course the fa cup Speaking of which, we've got Stephen Housen on the line to talk Chelsea 1, Manchester United 0 in the FA Cup quarterfinals at Stamford Bridge. Right, joining us now, Stephen Housen himself, a friend of the show. Stephen, welcome to the front three. It's about time, to be honest, seeing as though I get name-checked on here on a weekly. Mate, I've never, been, fact, on, I've never been on your podcast. Well, the opportunity's there, mate. Loz oh, has been right, on it. Right, Dave's right, been on it. Mate, it'll be a pleasure. All right, I'll come on. Pull your finger out your ass and you oh, get on it. On. We can't talk about Manchester United. That's what we're here to talk about, obviously. Um, disappointing game tonight. I mean, Dave was talking about how Manchester United were on for a, a cup treble 
you know, the Europa League, the League Cup already in the bag. FA Cup wasn't to be. Referee ruined the game house. It is hard to get away from that fact. And unfortunately, it's been the, the topic of conversation far too often after games. And I hate talking about referees. I hate talking about referees when I win. And even, I hate talking about referees even more when we lose because it just sounds like sour grapes. But you can't analyse today's game without talking about the referee because I thought, tactically, I was quite surprised Jose went toe-to-toe with the exact same formation that Conte's had so much success with um, and was doing very well with it. I still think we were probably going to lose the game, in all honesty, but I thought we were a match for them, at least, with 11 versus 11. And then as soon as Herrera went off... It was inevitable. You bring Mkhitaryan off, who's probably, along with Hazard, one of the only players who's going to change the game, and you bring Fellaini on, and you're trying to have a Fellaini and Pogba midfield pairing, and it, it didn't work, does it? That's I mean, it. before we talk about uh, the game in a wider sense, what did you make of that sending off? Because for me, it was a yellow card for the first challenge. I think that was an intentional block of Hazard. The, second one, the second one is harsh, but at the same time, it was silly of Herrera to dive in like that. When Mike Oliver just won two players. Is the first one a foul, let alone a yellow card? I thought it looked like both, mate. How on planet Adam Bowwood? That is a yellow card, mate. He's just stopped. He's he's not moved towards him. He's not reached out. He's not tripped him. He's just held his ground. She was saying neither should have been a yellow card. No way. It's not even a foul, let alone a yellow card. Wow. Um, Surprising. The second one. (laughs) The second one. I think you is. Is silly knowing that he's just been booked, knowing that the referee's just had a word with exactly. Jones and Smalling. I, I think Hazard's made a massive meal of it, but her, I always say this if you give the referee a decision to make, then you're an idiot. Mm. And especially at that time, Herrera, he didn't need to make a foul on, on the wing near the halfway line. If it was to save a goal in the, in the dying minutes, you know, he gets a standing ovation and, and happy days. But at the time that he does it, it's silly. It's like when Fellaini did it against Everton in the box with moments to go. It's absolutely silly. That's where a professional mentality needs to come in. And and do you know what, actually? There's more to what's going on at United. There was uh, I've seen a lot of United fans complaining. One about Pogba's performance, which I think people are pouring gravy on it because of how much he cost. And people are projecting expectation on him that he doesn't warrant. I'm sure they've not watched him and how he performed in Juventus. Uh, and the stats he was pulling up in Juventus, if they think he's poor now because he's outperforming the stats that he was having in Juventus. I, I will concede that he's not been fantastic in the bigger games, which is a little bit of a disappointment, but he's not been poor by any stretch of the imagination. There was also there was fans, obviously he's not performed in the big games, but there was fans that really got the knickers in a twist over him, talking to his national teammates after the game and laughing about ah, it. Smiling and, and hugging Conte, his former yeah, manager, and you're like, Kante. Okay. It's a little bit unpalatable. I think people pour too much on it. I think people make a massive deal of it. But I do think that underlies one of the problems that we do have at Manchester United. Uh, I interviewed Rio Ferdinand a couple of weeks ago, um, and he's, he had a go at Pogba and Lingard over the dancing and stuff like that, and I asked him about that. And he said he'd actually mellowed on his opinion about it, and he said he, he was probably a little bit wrong. Unfortunately, the, the video didn't go out because we had a rubbish cameraman. Um but he said he actually mellowed on it. But what one of the things that he said was, if Brian Robson had still been at the club when he was um, like the first United player that was on Twitter and all that lot, he goes, Brian Robson would have told me a new arsehole over it. He goes, and there were standards at the club. Roy Keane, it was Rio himself, um, Giggs, Skulls, players like that are like, this doesn't happen at Manchester United. That's not allowed. This isn't allowed and, thing- and all that sort of stuff. 
the thing and is I think for me, a lack of that sort of player is a big issue at the moment. Someone to be like, "Oi, get in the fucking dressing room. Go, go say thanks to the fans. Get in the dressing room, because you know we've just been knocked out of the cup. So let's fucking get a grip." The thing is, with all this off the field stuff, um, you know, there is the case to be made that it can be related to performances. But if the player performs on the pitch, I don't think we'd be seeing this debate really if Pogba was in a way living up to that price tag. I mean, it's not a fair comparison perhaps with N'Golo Kante, but it is inescapable. The fact that Kante, you know, is the player of the year in many ways. The fact that he won the game tonight. In terms of Pogba though, I mean, where do you think the fault lies? He's played 46 games this season for one. So there's perhaps fatigue there. Um, some people are saying that perhaps Mourinho isn't getting the best out of him. I mean, where do you think the the, the blame needs to lie with Paul Pogba's performances, which have undoubtedly been underwhelming in some games. I don't necessarily think there's a, a need to blame. Um, I, I think it's just a case of he's not Ronaldo or Messi, and there's nothing wrong with him not being Ronaldo or Messi. And I think Squawker have got his performances as the the number one ranked central midfield. Right? You can agree or disagree on that, but they use a scientific-ish way to to measure that. He's the third best player in the Premier League according to their rankings. If you look at the number of key passes, interceptions, tackles, uh, it was the first player to complete a thousand passes in the opposition final third, right? He's not having a shit season. People want him to be having a shit season. People want to make a big deal out of the fact that he's the world's most expensive player. Maybe he needs a little bit of time to settle in because I would agree he's not tore it up but he's certainly not been shit. And I think that's the problem is people want everything to be black or white when generally there's a lot of grey involved. And I think with Pogba, there's a lot of grey at the moment where he's, he's not been amazing, but he's certainly not been shit. I think he's been consistently just above average, which maybe that's not good enough. Right? Yeah. But I don't think he's been poor. I think the fact that, he, yeah, he has had bad games in some of the, the bigger games, but who's had a good game? You know, this is a player that's come from playing with Vidal and Perlo at Juventus and, and now he's at Manchester United and they're going, do all of that on your own. And I think that's probably a little unrealistic. Yeah, I think United are almost at the start of the process of potentially building a team uh, around Pogba in a way. And uh, almost to be fair to him, I thought he looked good and Manchester United looked good at the start of the game before the sending off. You know, there was a lot of talk beforehand about how Man United was set up. People expecting Mourinho to part the bus about you know how to deal with that lack of striking options. It was a very aggressive approach, actually, at the start of the game, trying to put pressure on Chelsea on that back three, in particular Gary Cahill. But as you said, uh, there was the feeling that Chelsea would have won this game regardless, House, and I mean, uh, we saw Chelsea grow into the game, Eden Hazard, especially. I mean, he sent oh, he was Chris Warren back to Maidstone United at one point. He was absolutely fantastic. There's nothing else you can say about him, that, apart from me. He's just a nightmare to deal with, isn't it? I don't even know... Like there's not even like a textbook answer of what do you do about him? I don't know what you do about him. Do you get tight to him? Well, he's about three foot five, so you've got no one who's got the level of agility that he's got. So he's going past anyone if you try and man mark him. Well, before the red card, they tried to just it was Phil Jones's one remit was just to stay on yeah, Hazard by the looks of it. <laughs> yeah, give me a little kick every now and then. But even then, you know, no, it's no, hard sometimes to track. there's a place there's a place for that physicality in football. Sometimes I think people forget that the amount of people who have seen that said that the second foul there was contact, therefore it's a foul. It's still a contact sport, just. Just about, but it is still a contact sport. People get well too carried away about what's, what classifies as a foul and a dive. It, it's simulation. If you if you pour gravy on it, then it's it's a dive, ultimately, isn't it? That's twice you've mentioned gravy. 
today. Don't, don't um, hate on Craven, mate. Just because I'm Northern. What it's... about uh, Marcus Rashford? You know, a bright spot, I think it's fair to say, uh, for Manchester United. Perhaps should have scored when he produced a, a fantastic run. He was one-on-one with Cahill, turned him inside out, couldn't get past Courtois. But at the same time, encouraging that he had those flashes with Zlatan out for two more games. Uh, you know, the young Indian striker showing that perhaps he can feel those those big Swedish boots uh, against Middlesbrough coming up and, uh, and West Brom. Uh, I thought he would be a threat tonight because of Chelsea's high line, uh, the way they, they like to play the game. Fairly high. It's not the highest of lines. It's not City. No, it's not Barcelona. But it's it's still a line that you can get behind. Marcus Rashford, certainly with Mkhitaryan, would have been the way that we would have done that. And that was the case with the chance that he had. Um, I thought he was going to come into him on his right foot because his right foot's his best foot. And if he comes in on his right mm. foot, I mean, he's, he's sent... Cahill wherever he wanted him to go to be honest so I think he could have come in on his right foot and he probably would have buried it if he'd have put it on his right foot but he hit the target I always say to like the young kids that I coach and stuff like that as long as you hit the target I'm not gonna have an attitude you know you've done you've done your job the keeper does their job then sound if he doesn't happy days but you've hit the target with your weaker foot so I'm not really going to be too bothered about what Rashford's done there but yeah I think he's his intensity is infectious and I think he's a real tool to be used at certain times. And I think when you want to play a press like the way we obviously set up to play tonight, I think Marcus Rashford is a fantastic asset. I've seen a couple of people saying his miss cost us the game. I'm like, no, his miss was an opportunity to level Mm. up the game, but I don't think you could ever call it costing us the game at all. I think that's uh, massively over-egging it, to be honest. And finally, I mean, obviously out of the FA Cup now, you've still got the Europa League obviously still challenging for the top four this season. What would constitute success for you now for Mourinho in his first season at Manchester United? Uh, Winning every game to the end of the season, probably. Um, I don't think... But if, if they don't finish in the top four, for example, is that, you know, uh, unacceptable if they win the Europa League? I mean, what's the ideal scenario for you or what's a realistic scenario that you would uh, you would deem success this season? I don't know. Um, I think... We've seen Louis van Gaal come fourth and we've had a lot of murmurings and then he won an FA Cup and came fifth and was sacked. So the board clearly wants someone to be maintaining Champions League qualification. That being said, if we come fifth, don't win the Euro- uh, Europa and we've just picked up the F- EFL, can I see them sacking Mourinho? No, I can't because I think, I think they believe in the process of what's going on. This season's always a tough season to judge anybody on, and that's why I'm really disappointed in the likes of Leicester getting rid of Ranieri and that. There was far too little success to go around for the level of managers and some of the teams that was in this league, and there was always going to be casualties, and I think anyone who's able to ride it out is probably going to be successful in the long term. No one should really have been losing the job in the league this year, really, arguably, apart from Pardew. I think that was fair. (laughs) With that in mind, then, uh, seeing as this is the first time you've come on, the front three. Talk to me about how you'd evaluate this season. Jose Mourinho's first season in charge. He has, of course, won the League Cup. But I remember when he was hired, a lot of people talking about how, you know, a lot of debate over whether he was the right appointment, whether he'd bring youth players through, whether he'd play the style of football that seemed to be synonymous with Manchester United. Are you happy with the way things are, are moving in a sort of objective sense? He's impressed me, to be honest. Um, he's impressed me with his tactical flexibility. I wasn't 100% sure that he had that in him. Um, he's impressed me with his bravery, um, taking off defenders, putting on attackers to to try and get a victory in a game and getting that in a game occasionally. 
Um, I think he's been... I don't like to use the word luck because I think ultimately you you probably get what you deserve in sport, more or less. But we've been incredibly unlucky with some of these draws that we've had. I mean, if we just, just analyse the, the Chelsea game away, they score four goals with four on-target shots and we've missed, what, I don't know, three and a half million shots this year or something like that? I don't know. Yeah, thereabouts. Yeah, thereabouts, yeah. 3.6. Um, so, is that because Latin Ibrahimovic is a, a poor striker? No. But his percentage this year is not of the level it's been in previous years. Is that because he's playing the Premier League? Or, or is that... Where does fortune play a part in this? Because it's going to play a part in in some area. I'm just intrigued as to where it comes in because there's been so many opportunities where it, we've just, by the by millimetres, missed out on picking up three points. Some of the draws that we had at home have been absolutely ridiculous. And even if just a handful of those was turned into three points, that would deserve it three points. We're looking at a whole different season for Manchester United. The difference is under Louis van Gaal. We were scraping results but the performances were shit apart from that period over Christmas where we didn't get either whereas now under Mourinho the performances are more or less there but some of the results quite haven't quite been there and it's not through you know, you can see Mourinho trying things and it's it's some individual mistakes letting him down rather mm. than the overall plan I think so I think another summer with Jose he's made four brilliant signings I mean the four signings are literally our four best players this season with De Gea. They're the top of the man of the match pile. Literally the four signings are the top four of who's won man of the matches for Manchester United. Statistically, we're due at least one or two duds this summer. But if he signs three or four players, we're going to improve the squad mm. again. I think there's a bit of wastage to get rid of. Um, there's certainly Ashley a lot to clear. <coughs> I can't understand how Ashley Young gets a game for United. I don't know how he's still at Manchester United. <laughs> but he is. He's playing tonight. It's um, It is a strange one. Um, for now, though, Houston. Thanks for coming on the front three. Pleasure to have you on. This is your chance to plug yourself. You know, what do you want the listeners to check out of yours? Do you know what? If you're on iTunes, come and find me on iTunes. We talk a little bit of football, but then it goes so quickly, so west out of there that you know it's a big old ramble. But there is a little bit of football talk in there. But it's also conspiracy theories and literally anything and a lot of food talk for some reason. Big thank you to Stephen Housen for coming on the front three. Do go and check out his podcast on iTunes. Definitely worth a listen. Uh, Chris, we've got to talk about this Pogba debate. I find it fascinating. You know, Obviously coming in for a lot of criticism, as we said there, after this game. But what's behind these poor performances? Is it fatigue, as some have suggested? Is it simply that he's not worth £89 million pounds that we're judging him by that price tag, perhaps unfairly? Is it that Mourinho isn't setting up the team to get the best out of the most expensive player in the world? I, I would say the truth lies in the middle. I think he has played a lot of games without a pre-season, which is worth considering, over 40 at this stage. But also, I'm, I'm not convinced that Mourinho at this point is getting the best out of him. Um, I look at, and we talked about this with, with Juventus, one of the big things for him was the system he was in. In the same way that we talked about him and Vidal covering Pirlo, I think Pirlo and Vidal also did the same. It was very much a, a triangle of benefits in that sense. So the same applies to to Manchester United. There was something floating around the other day that his best possession usage numbers, which is when the play ends with him, is when Michael Carrick is on the field. I also just think that watching him play, he looks 
a little bit lacking in instruction. He And I think that's why he ends up looking like a, a bull chasing a rabbit, because he's not necessarily always being told what to do. And in a central position like that, it means he's going to be susceptible to a, a lot of different mistakes. Um, and it's it's a really tough one for him. I was thinking the other day, and I mentioned it to, to Miguel Delaney after he wrote a piece on, on Pogba and sort of giving him time to, to settle in. Would it have been better if he was at City with Guardiola? Because Guardiola, firstly, loves working with young players, but also is so focused on the minute detail that you have to believe that he would coach Pogba to a really high level in terms of this is what you do when it's here, this is what you do here. So he knows that every eventual outcome of a decision, he knows what's likely to happen next. It's hard. I think I think it's especially hard um, against maybe a, a Chelsea or a Liverpool or someone like that to work out what's going to happen next, surely, because of the way they play the game. Yeah, I see, I see what you mean. I just... The, the example I used with, with Mikel was the the conversations Guardiola has on the field where he talks to Kimmich and things like that. Those, for me, are the moments where I get the feeling that Guardiola never switches off. And it, essentially, as much as I'm praising Guardiola for that, I'm not, in the same instance, taking digs at, at Mourinho. They're just different styles of coaching. And I just think that Guardiola's sort of, you could call it coddling if you want, or detail-heavy approach is kind of what Pogba needs when he's Mission. moving for such a, a massive fee from a team that was... Because the other thing as well, and again, this is not a dig at Manchester United because they're going through a, a transition still, I think, from Ferguson, is that Juventus was so well set up and well-organised and well-built as a team. The way they were put together, the way the partnerships worked, all those kind of things, you see that now today, even with him out in the, out of the team completely, that it's still a very well-oiled machine. And I'm sure you probably saw that when you went to go and see them play against Milan. I don't think Man United is there yet. I think Man United, to me, it's still a little bit stuck in a few different revolutions, sort of clogging each other up. There's players that Van Gaal wanted, there's players that, that Moyes tried for, and then there's players that Mourinho wanted. And they're all quite jarring in... in terms of the, the styles that they wanted to play. So I'm, I'm just not convinced yet that he's had the perfect system for him. And I think if you're going to invest a world record transfer fee, eventually, and in fairness, they've got absolutely mountains of time, eventually you have to put 10 players around that marquee signing, not just to make them work well as an individual, but to make the team work well. And I just don't think they're at that stage yet. Mm. Well, Chelsea in the end, going through to uh, the semi-finals uh, where they'll face the mighty Spurs. Spurs who beat Millwall 6-0 at the weekend. Uh, a resounding win. Even Vincent Janssen got in on the action. His first goal from open play for the club. Uh, Hyungman Son, of course, scoring his first hat-trick for Spurs as well. Um, so all good news. The bad news, however, uh, Harry Kane limping out not long into this game. Uh, talk that he could be out for the season. Uh, landed awkwardly after a challenge with uh, Jake Cooper, it was the Millwall defender. Um, fears that it could be a repeat of the ankle injury that kept him out for 10 games at the start of the season. It was a run where Spurs were winless for six games in October and November. They only scored once from open play uh, as a team back then. So it is worrying that potentially Kane's season could be over. And with it, Spurs fans fearing that the, the team season 
could be over as well. Um, they will be relying on Son though. Spurs will need Son to, to try and fill that void. So if he can replicate the form he showed in this match and earlier this season, obviously that would be a, a big boost. Vincent Janssen, I think Lesser will be called upon. That will no doubt feature, um, especially his son, I think is going to play for South Korea at the end of March. He's going to miss the game at Burnley at the start of April. Um, I think it will be interesting to see if indeed Kane is out, how long he's out for. You know, if, if he could return at the end of April when Spurs have got those big games, the North London derby, uh, the game against Manchester United as well, that could be a huge boost. But I'm, I'm more confident that Spurs will be able to cope without him because uh, you know, I spoke about at the time when we were going through that, that barren run without him, uh, how there was a lack of goals from midfield, that no one was stepping up to fill the void left by Kane. Whereas now, you know, we're seeing uh, Deli Alley's scored 16 this season uh, in three consecutive matches since he got that red card against Ghent as well. Uh, Christian Eriksen himself bagged himself a goal against Millwall and has been contributing more since then. And that switch to that 3-4-3 formation uh, regularly since Kane was injured has brought the best out of Ali. So I'm feeling confident that, you know, uh, especially with the fixture list until the end of April not looking uh, particularly difficult, or shouldn't look particularly difficult. The, uh, those goals from midfield, the goals throughout the team, should help. But we'll see. I mean, it is obviously a massive play for Harry Kane. The, the top scorer, no one in Europe's top five leagues has scored more goals in 2017 than Harry Kane. Um, mm. So it is a big blow. But I'm hopeful that he will be coming back at the end of April because that is going to be a crucial period. Things are very tight in that top four, despite Spurs having such a fantastic season so far. Uh, it would be tremendously disappointing to, you know, uh, not only drop out of the top four if that is a possibility, but you know this big game now against Chelsea in the FA Cup, a tournament I've spoken about wanting to win as well. I think it would be a good sign of progress under Pochettino. Um, I think obviously Harry Kane gives us a much better chance of achieving both those aims. Could you call someone up from the the youth team, or is that not a, a so, possibility? I think because I, I know you've got a decent is it Sheon Harrison? He's on loan at Yeovil. I don't know if you can recall him. I think it will be. Sun, the main burden will fall upon Sun now. Um, and as I say, I think although Pochettino clearly doesn't trust Janssen, and the talk has been that you know after this season he'll be uh, he'll be moved on. I think at this time, with that goal from open play, no doubt boosting his confidence. You know, he said after the game uh, that he didn't want to speak to the media. He said there'll be plenty of time to talk about goals in in the coming weeks. So he's obviously feeling that he is going to get a chance in the team that he can contribute. So I think between those two, and like I say, the goals from midfield, you'd hope the Spurs will be able to to cope without him. Um, but it remains to be seen. It's going to be very interesting to see uh, a semi final against Chelsea as well. Should be very tasty indeed. Uh, hopefully we can get past them. Uh, into the final against either Arsenal or Manchester City. Arsenal uh, also hammering uh, their opposition at home. 5-0 win over Lincoln. Uh, it was an easy win for the Gunners in the end, Chris. Uh, some intricate plays, some nice goals, um, but not too much of a contest, really. No, not really. Um, I, I, I like, is it Crowley? Danny Crowley, the, the, the coach? I think he seems destined for for a chance maybe higher at the Football League. Um, he's brought a lot of professional or... or um, I'm not sure. Lincoln, Lincoln aren't professional, are they? No, because it's so difficult because a lot of teams become professional and, and switch over. So, But he's bringing a lot of high-quality methods that, that teams near the top of the football pyramid use. 
into the Lincoln City clo- uh, dressing room. So I think that in itself shows a little bit of innovation that could possibly earn him a chance in, in the Football League. Um, as for Arsenal, you know, job done in that sense. I think the fact it's it's at the Emirates makes it so much easier for them. Um, they took care of Sutton United fairly easily in the last round. Um, but again, whenever you've got to go to a non-league round, it's not always the easiest place to play. They benefited a little bit against Sutton because it was a plastic pitch, so there wasn't going to be too much in the way of, of sort of damage to it. Um, but yeah, the, the thing with them is you're not going to be able to take the spotlight off the, the wider issues, the, the Wenger situation, anything like that. Even a, a fairly comfortable win like this where you put together some nice passing combinations and stuff is going to be, I would say, distracted by the fact that, that Wenger's situation doesn't seem clear-cut. Mm. I mean, uh, once again, it still dominated the talk after the game. Uh, Wenger coming out to say that, you know, uh, 60,000 people in the stadium are happy. It's only 100 or so outside who uh, who seem to be <laughs> expressing their frustration. I'm not sure that's quite true. Uh, and of course, now reports today in the Daily Telegraph that Arsenal are stepping up a hunt for a sporting director to ease the burden on Arsene Wenger. Many Arsenal fans suspecting that indeed that new two-year contract has been signed by Arsene Wenger, that the club are just waiting for the right time to announce it. Might not be now. Might be uh, potentially if they do indeed beat Man City in the semi-finals, get through to that final. If they do indeed finish above Spurs, maybe that's how they'll... So, they'll are Arsenal not, Arsenal not on the stock exchange then? I don't think they are. They'd, otherwise, they, they would have, wouldn't they have had to announce that he signed a new contract? Surely there's a something in there where you you can look at what a manager's current contract is. Well, I mean, either way, I think there's a bit of a culture of distrust at, um, uh, at Arsenal at the moment, and I, I've 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 been sort of wondering about uh, what the role is of the fans and where the fans start. I think. We've always thought that people like Arsenal and Fan TV represent a wider version of things. I wonder if in them trying to influence stuff, they've begun to influence a wider media, which has made it harder for Wenger and people like that to operate. And I'm starting to wonder at this point if actually things like Arsenal and Fan TV are working counterintuitively to what the club are trying to achieve because it doesn't seem like the guys on the channel are trying to craft any sort of cohesive idea. It seems that whatever happens, they'll be counter to it. Mm. It's kind of an um, interesting contrast in a way, though, because you could sort of say that's the direction football is almost going in a hole. You know, we always talk about how managers don't get enough time, how uh, there seems to be a complete lack of patience uh, among club owners, among club directors, among fans. And Wenger stands uh, opposed to that, obviously being, uh, you know, the, the longest-standing manager in the game as it stands. He's almost... I I just, I just, I, but I don't think that all clubs are impatient. I think that there are some decisions which behind the scenes are taken for certain reasons. And I think some people explain them well and some people don't. And there are points where people will hang people out to dry and there are other times where they won't. Um I just think that with Arsenal, it's, it's a funny one because the the Arsenal fan TV and the some more of those fans 
they have a right to know what's going on at the club to some extent because they pay their money week in, week out. But I think when you don't find out, you also have to apply some sort of perspective. I don't think there's very much perspective sometimes. They solicit almost the opposite. I'm very intrigued to see how this season ends. If, you know, Arsenal do win the FA Cup once again, does Wenger realise from hindsight that maybe this is the time to, to leave, to go out on that high, the, the chance he missed out in the last few years when he stayed on? If they finish above Spurs, if that does happen, you know, uh, does he call it a day or does he indeed stay on for, for the next two years, convinced that he can turn things around? I think it's going to be a very interesting end to the season. They have of course got to get past Manchester City first in those semi-finals at Wembley uh, they eased past Middlesbrough this weekend a 2-0 win at the Riverside uh, David Silva and Sergio Guerra with the goals meaning Guardiola's side reach the last four of the FA Cup for the first time in four years um, as I say oh just got a text off <coughs> Good. as I say would be a measure of success for Pochettino to win the FA Cup I think for Guardiola as well with the league campaign uh, perhaps not reaching the levels of expectation that were there at the start of the season, an FA Cup would, would go some way to potentially uh, soothing that. Um, but that is the FA Cup action. There was some Premier League action going on as well, though, Lawrence. Liverpool mm -hmm. managing to, to beat a team in the lower half of the table, miraculously. Uh, a 2-1 win. Sounds an, weird. An unconvincing win, though, Lawrence. Um, I mean... <sighs> Yeah, I suppose you could see it either way, really. Um, Liverpool in the first half looked uh, lacklustre. They looked, again, like another side who didn't really seem prepared um, to, go what they, to go through what they needed to go through. And, and actually, at times, didn't seem to be, to be going through some of the basics, which you would against a, t a side like uh, Burnley in order to keep them out. Um, and early on, they didn't. And Burnley were very disruptive and did that all correctly. I'm starting to wonder why people are surprised by that sort of thing. Um, the difference is, more recently, that Liverpool have been trying to counter what the very obvious mistakes they've been making. And as obvious as it sometimes can seem from the outside, I think when Klopp's leading his team down a certain road, then I think he's going to be more forgiving or maybe more understanding of some of the mistakes because he realises maybe uh, where his psychology is going and therefore um, kind of the mistakes which will be made in what he believes is the short term and then what he's doing in the long term. I also think it's worth pointing out sort of the fact that Klopp has again highlighted earlier on this week that he has a small squad and they didn't bolster enough in the summer and then in January either because he didn't see people he wanted to invest in. There's no one really to blame on that but Klopp and the board for not scouting enough people or getting enough of their targets. Um, so if they do fall out of the top four, like he seems to be talking about and a lot of other people Liverpool seem to be talking about, they have themselves to blame. Um, Liverpool, however, did come out of the 2-1 win. Um, and it was in no short part down to the change in structure and approach in the field in the second half when Emery Chan decided um, to wander forward. I think Liverpool was still fortunate to win the game. Mm. Um, but ultimately, it was down to a change in um, structure in the field. Um, basically, that Emery Chan decided to march forward a little bit more, more and more. Liverpool found more space through moving the ball. Uh, passing a lot, lot quicker than they were in the first half. Um, 
and even sometimes just basically when Liverpool flex their muscles as a team, I think you see a lot, a lot more from them. So there's nothing, I think, in the long run to worry about. It is hard to disagree with Gary Neville uh, that Liverpool are probably the weakest of those competing for the top six. Would you agree with that, Lawrence? Yeah, yeah, I think so, squad-wise. Um, I think starting 11-wise, I think they've obviously proven that they are not weak in the sense they can beat the other um, sides in the top four mm. and around the top six. But I think uh, in terms of what you need at a club uh, to get in the top four, yeah, I think he's right. But I also think it's Jurgen Klopp and I think <laughs> you know, there's a reason that Liverpool got him and there's a reason that Liverpool believed in him for those reasons that's the thing I mean they're currently in the top four on 55 points they have got two games in hand over Arsenal though who they're five points ahead of I mean if they did for example end up finishing sixth is that a disappointment of a season for you or as it sounds like you're viewing it in a a broader context that there have been impressive performances there have been signs that things are going in the right direction I think there's always been signs things are going in the right direction. I think what it would be considered disappointing because it was Klopp's first full season um, and they set out another a goal, which was to get into the Champions League. Um, they didn't reach that goal. Yes, it's disappointing. And it shows in some ways that Liverpool haven't been able to fulfil what they set out to do. So, yeah, I think it is disappointing. Um, does that mean that it's all bad? No. I think that's the perspective Liverpool fans need. Um, that's level-headed of you. Um, well, why lose your head? Um, why lose your head? Um, I just, I, I mean, I think there are some real quality players in there. I think some of them are frustrating. I also think if you look at Klopp's bench, then the fact that he had to bring Woodburn on for Coutinho speaks volumes. Yeah. Uh, it is Manchester City up next uh, on the 19th of March uh, at the Etihad Stadium, which will be an interesting one, followed by the Merseyside derby. So uh, an intriguing... Too cute. that's the thing you'd probably back them in those games given their performances but um, again potentially defining fixtures for Liverpool this season Um, across the other side of town Everton with a convincing 3-0 win over West Brom uh, cruised to the victory at Goodison Park Morgan Schneider scoring his first goal for the Toffees Uh, Kevin Rinas and Romelu Lukaku also scoring to cement 7th place for Everton Ronald Koeman's side on course Europa League qualification by the looks of it depending on who wins the FA Cup uh, still in touching distance of that top four um, they are just two points by Manchester United with two games over uh, the Old Trafford side of course I mean if they do indeed finish seven Chris is that a successful first season for Ronald Koeman at Goodison Park it is um, the thing is with them I think Yannick Balassi is in a difficult position because there's no guarantees what kind of player comes back from that kind of injury. So if you were to look at the numbers, you'd say they've spent a lot of money. I would say that when you look at the influence Schneiderlin will have with a full preseason behind him, and you look at that team in general, I think the spine has dramatically improved from 12 months ago. So once you can get that all in a line in terms of giving it a preseason and giving it a chance to really mesh together, it builds a really solid foundation for a team. And you have to think that with another year's TV money, a bit more from the owner in there, they can really start to invest in quite a significant way. And at that point, then you can start to move on and try and assault the top six. Um, I think they've been 
fairly shrewd in the market. I wasn't massively impressed with Balassi for 26 million. I have to be honest, that's got nothing to do with his injuries. Just I didn't think he would be able to to keep up that level that he was at, um, and is in it's sort of his peak. Um, but other than that, they've been, I think, fairly shrewd in the market. They've dodged the odd bullet, of course. They wanted Sissoko. Um, I know they were looking at Depay as well, who's kind of in this awkward middle camp right now of, of not being quite what Man United need, but also doing quite well at Lyon. Mm. So I, I think if the recruitment stays on that path of getting players of the ilk of Schneiderlin, not just going to the top teams above them and saying, who, who do you want to get rid of? Um, I think if it can shift to a more... Uh, what's the word I'm looking here? Considered sort of approach in which they pick up players of the ilk of Yuri Telemans, those kind of the the Usman Dembele's of, of European football. Then I think they start to build something that can really go at the top six. They might have to be shrewd this summer. Uh, they might have a bit of change to spend if indeed Romelu Lukaku does leave after this win. Uh, the back page is dominated by talk that the Belgian is refusing to sign a new contract at the club, Lawrence, just weeks after Mina Raiola said he was 99.9999999999% sure that Lukaku would be signing that new deal. Uh, Lukaku reportedly disagreeing with his representative, wants to leave. Do you think it would be a good move for him, potentially to stay at the club or leave, get that Champions League football he so clearly uh, is desperately wanting, potentially a return to Chelsea? I mean, what are your thoughts? Uh, I... I think uh, there are two different... I mean, there's loads of different perspectives to take on it. I think Minerola is a very um, unpredictable character in the first place. Um, and basically, until the contract's signed, there's not really very much that you're going to... Uh, I don't really believe much that an agent or a club says until I sort of see... And even then, when even then when the contract is signed, you still sort of think, well, even then, that doesn't mean very much. Um apart from that they're getting more money each week. Uh, um, I think it would be... If It does feel like a bit of a waste of him getting... Um, get, getting Everton or pulling Everton in certain positions or and also vice versa. I, I think both maybe feel a little bit ungrateful for the position that the other one's got them into. Um, and I think Koeman's probably one of the few who seems to have a perspective on it, which is maybe realistic. Um, when it comes down to it, whether he'll leave or not, I think most people are agreed that unless ever to make it to a higher level, it's probably a good idea that he leaves. Um, just from a perspective of it, it seems like wasted potential to have someone who's scoring and able to score so many and looks like he's kind of on uh, playing in a system which doesn't even, even serve him that well. I think the frustration comes that he does look quite isolated at times and you think... Well, what could he do if he was part of a system where they made even more of what he was doing? But then you do wonder, um, you know, maybe Chelsea's not the place to go, uh, but then if Costa goes, maybe it is. Um, you know, where else, where else exactly can he go? Manchester City? Yeah, I mean, uh, still only 23. Juventus? Still only 23 as PSG? well. PSG? Um, PSG? I'd expect him PSG. To, to turn up at Chelsea next season. I really would. I think he wants it. Uh, the champions in waiting want it as well so um, and they'll be getting in Champions League football exactly it it just all makes sense return is on the cards I think Um, they definitely need to put um, 
they need to start putting buyback clauses in their deals, though. I know it's ridiculous isn't for, it? for a team. But, you know, you... For a team that so consistently buys young players and and essentially loans them out and does this kind of thing and is trying to to really play the game smart financially, it's it's madness to me that between De Bruyne, Lukaku, and you could even argue Matic, there wasn't a single buyback clause in those deals because it if they were to try well... and buy all three. Cost them a lot. Now. That's the thing. They manage it well with Thibaut Courtois, but that is that's the exception, isn't it? Loaning him out to Atletico Madrid, he obviously excelled and developed there. But yeah, Lukaku, if he doesn't end up coming back for fifty million, it does seem uh, it does seem ridiculous. Albeit, you know, we could see Diego Costa moving to China this summer if the reports are to be believed for a ridiculous amount in and of itself. So you know, it could all justify itself in a way and could all uh, could all fall into place. Um, Elsewhere in the Premier League this weekend, two more games to talk about at the bottom of the table. Bournemouth with a big win, 3-2 victory over West Ham. Uh, their first win of 2017, despite two missed penalties, unbelievably. Uh, Josh King with the hat-trick to take them six points clear of the drop zone. They've got a big game against Swansea next. The Swans themselves losing away from home 2-1 at Hull City, who are now within a point of safety. Uh, two late goals for Omar Niassi, um, the Everton reject. Uh, they were enough despite a late Alfie Moore consolation for the Swans uh, Paul Clement's side three points clear of the drop zone still but it does remain very tight down there Palace Middlesbrough and Sunderland all with a game in hand now over both Swansea and Hull as we enter those final ten games of the season very interesting um, that is the Premier League wrapped up guys and the FA Cup action shall we go around Europe one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Not what, literally. What better place oh. to start than literally going to Italy, Lawrence? You were lucky enough to witness uh, firsthand, let's say, a controversial win for Juventus over AC Milan. Didn't feel very controversial when I was in the stadium, mate. It seemed like everyone agreed. Yeah, funny that. Yeah. Um, it, actually, no, not everyone agreed because I was sitting uh, just behind a Juventus fan who was sitting two seats down from an AC Milan fan. Um, and the whole match, they were goading each other. And it looked as if AC were going to pull off something, which this season seems fairly incredible, considering uh, Juventus' record at home. Uh, and then, out of nowhere, little cross goes in, uh, or it's an attempted cross, and it hits the body or the arm, we don't know, uh, from the crowd at least, of, um, of, one of, the, of one of the AC Milan players. And out of nowhere, seems that Juventus have 
an extra time penalty to save them from drawing one all against Milan. Uh, expertly dispatched by Dybala. Players file off extremely quickly because it's almost the very last kick of the game. Um, and the Juve players are left out on the pitch to celebrate with the crowd. Uh, and Don, Donnarumma uh, goes pretty mental on the way in. Uh, and who is it that pushes? Is it, I think it's one of the coaching staff for AC Milan who uh, physically apprehend the referee. It was actually Carlos Banker. He had to be held back Carlos. by uh, Vincenzo Montella um, uh, from, from, yeah, giving the referee a, a good old shove. It was quite unusual to watch close up um and then uh yeah but basically that's how it finished uh, the the uve players more than happy to stay out on the pitch and i started to realize what's going on at events and how they're basically like like uh Kristen was saying earlier constructed institution uh, and something that seems seems and feels rather special compared to uh maybe a manchester united or even a liverpool or anywhere else have you do you guys know what happens at juventus before a match no, you ever seen go this on. on TV? You ever seen? I've I'd never seen this on television. Um, I, I don't know why, but pre-match against AC Milan, all the lights in the stadium go out, uh, and all the fans hold up their phones, and then there is a light show inside the stadium using the floodlights, wow. using coordinated flashing and uh, lasers on the pitch, um, and uh, a big zebra. Um, no, not even joking. Um, and a, a big zebra. zebra not, I suppose it's yeah, the, way, it? was a zebra, yeah. Um, uh, obviously, it's a mascot. It's not a real zebra. On brand. Um, not very much so. I mean, it would be unusual if it was off brand um, and Juventus allowed him on the pitch. Um, and then uh, a lot of music. And they do it sort of three or four times in a row to really G the crowd up. I'll tell you how it is in the Champions League as well. But... It is unusual, to say the least. Very different to what I've seen in any English club. It's not, you'll never enjoyable. walk alone. Did you, did you like that? Like that uh, you know what? It is actually, it's, it's so different to what you see at other clubs that you think, wow, this is a, it was almost like a, a Jay-Z or a, a Kanye West concert in a way. Oh, uh, because it's quite a visceral experience. The, the speakers are very loud. Um, the fans sort of clap along with it. Um, the fans themselves seem to enjoy it. So it's not like a kind of, oh, what's this kind of thing. It, it, it seems very sort of accepted by the fans. And it seems to G the fans and the players up. Um, and then again, the difference between Juventus and all the other sides is that Juventus are able to field a number of different combinations of sides. So they played sort of Danny Alves at right wing slash right wing back. He's able to bomb on and take part in some quite intricate moves by Juventus, which ended up with quite a few um, impressive shots, which Donnarumma uh, stood up to extremely well. AC Milan broke on them, though, a number of times and managed to isolate in the end. Um, And I was actually impressed by what AC Milan tactically did against what seemed a really uh, machine-like Juventus side, I want to say. It's the first time in a very long time that I've seen such a uh, such an almost cold uh, or automatic looking side as Juventus. Liverpool aren't that. I don't think Chelsea are that. Manchester United definitely aren't that. And Man City can only really aspire to be that, but I don't know if Pep even aspires to be that. Um, 
so it was it was actually really impressive to watch uh, this Juve side. Um, and I think, again, we'll, with them taking Porto home in the second leg, I think we'll see them also uh, do do a similar number on those guys. Mm. Very jealous, gotta say. All sounds. We should be, mate. Uh, I was I was in a I was in a corporate box. Uh, oh, bloody love, mate! Getting the yeah. corporate dollar from Adidas. Yeah. Well, I absolutely. I had th- uh, a lot of pasta before, during, and after the game. When and in Rome, a lot of champagne, you know, and so. a lot of uh, orange juice. Um, also, in it's the should... corporate orange juice you want to get, get your hands on, Adam. That's it's the, real the corporate grade, orange. That's the real quiz. All right. It's how much orange juice you can drink at the game, and I drank a lot of orange juice at the game. Uh, also in Italy. Uh, there was the little matter of uh, Inter Milan beating Atalanta 7-1. Yeah. tricks for two players. I'd love to know, if only Stan Day was here, how many times that's happened in games. And yet, matches. Adam, you didn't include anyone um, who, whose name is Icardi on the... Uh, I know, I went the... for Benega because, you know, Mauro Icardi and Ava Benega, they both scored hat-tricks in this game. They both got match balls, you know, incredible stuff. But Incredible someone match suggested match. Ava Benega in the Twitter comments. I should have listened to the next person who said, make it a joint award, you know. Akadi and Benega can both share it. I think Ooh. if Benega wins the Player of the, the Week award, I will uh, honour it to both of them. They can both share the box of Ferrero Rocher. They're out of the same club. They can have three each. You know, it, well, it makes sense in many ways. I'll accept that. Um, did score the fastest hat-trick as an interplay in Serie A since 1947. It took him just nine minutes uh, to score I think it was within 29 minutes as well he'd already bagged those three um, so sensational stuff from the Argentinian uh, Stefano Pioli's 12th win for Inter as well out of 16 in the league since taking over at the club as they continue to push for Champions League qualification uh, Spain interestingly enough Barcelona brought back down to earth following their uh, their historic comeback against PSG in midweek uh, with defeat to Deportivo La Coruña at the weekend only their third defeat this season after six league wins in a row, which had seen them top of the table. However, Real Madrid are now back in that top spot, coming from behind to beat Real Batiste 2-1 with who else but that man Sergio Ramos scoring a late winner for Los Blancos. Uh, let me hear you some stats right now about Ramos. Tenth uh, goal in all competitions this season. Pretty good. Uh, without Ramos's goals, they'd actually be nine points worse off in the league. And finally... 19 of Sergio Ramos's last 22 goals have come when Madrid were either losing or drawing. Or drawing, yeah. This guy scores the big goals when it matters, you know. Speaking of which, actually, Liverpool have now received the most points in the Premier League, uh, or saved the most points in the Premier League, from a position of uh, losing. I mean, you should have brought that up when we were talking about Liverpool, mate. I'm trying to... I'm trying to dazzle you with Sergio Ramos stats, and you're. Well, I'm, I'm dazzling you with Liverpool stats. <laughs> Either way, uh, a crucial win uh, for Zinedine. Like two stats side. peacocks. They are. They are now two points ahead of Barcelona, uh, crucially stats-cocks. with a game in hand, though. So uh, potentially decisive win there in Germany. Bayern Munich opened up a ten-point gap. Freena win for them over Frankfurt. Uh, Robert Lewandowski continuing his fine scoring form for Brace, making it ten goals in his last seven games. Uh, Bayern's opening goal coming against the run of play has to be said though it could have been very different if it wasn't for the one and only Matt Hummels have you seen this footage of his uh, his slide and tackle tackle of the season they're calling it Lawrence have you seen this uh, no mm. was it really that good it was v- I highly recommend seeking out the footage uh, the Frankfurt striker uh, Brennan Mir, 
Grota, if that's how you pronounce it. He'd gone through, he'd broken the offside trap, essentially. Matt Tomlin had stepped up. Uh, Grota had sort of burst through the ranks. Rounds Manuel Neuer, helpless. He's about to tap it into an empty net. Who else? Matt Hummel's come sliding in, takes the ball cleanly. Beautiful tackle. Tackle of the season. Tackle of the century, perhaps. Um, but let's just stick with season for now. We don't want to be a victim of hyperbole. Um, so great stuff there for Bayern Munich. Uh, 10 points clear. Title all but sewn up. Uh, in France, not quite sewn up yet, though. Monaco, uh, they did beat Bordeaux 2 1 to maintain their three point lead at the top of the table. They also set a club record for goals in the league uh, season 84 goals. And that's with nine games left. Uh, Racing Club de Paris, the last club to do so in the French League after 29 games. That was 57 years ago. Uh, Memphis Depay, as you mentioned earlier, Chris, he's continuing his career resurrection, let's say, at Lyon. Uh, he scored a David Beckham-esque goal from the halfway line in a 4-0 win over to lose Lyon in fourth now. Uh, five goals and two assists in his last six games for Memphis Depay. So uh, very good form there for the Dutchman. PSG, meanwhile, responded to that to Fiat Barcelona with a 2-1 win over Lorient. But they still remain three points behind the leaders, Monaco, as I said. Phew! Let's talk MLS, Chris. Some interesting talking points this weekend. Um, the one that I had my eye on was Minnesota versus Atlanta United. Mm -hmm. The two new expansion sides facing off, uh, let's say, in difficult conditions. The difference, though, the gulf between the two sides... It was obvious. Yeah, it was massive. It finished 6-1, all told. And the thing is, they've had very different recruitment strategies. So Atlanta went out and they bought quality. They bought Miguel Almiron, um, Jose Martinez from, from Torino, and, and invested a lot in what are young, exciting players. Minnesota have done very much the opposite. They, they brought a few players from their NASL team, um, I think two or three altogether, and then Miguel Ibarra came back from Mexico. But for the most part, again, it's, it's been quite thrifty shopping in terms of they got Badim Demidov from Braun. And, and I said at the time that I didn't like the thought of him at centre-back because he's very slow, he can be quite cumbersome. And just I, I had this feeling he would get torn up by uh, strikers in MLS. And, and sure enough, Jose Martinez like, gave him the runaround yesterday. The problem I think Minnesota have at this point is they're, they're kind of locked in with the players that they've got. And I think just in general, the way they've gone about their business is, is now starting to look a little bit lopsided. They're, they're not a terrible team in the final third. They have the players to create things. Um, but it seems a little bit lopsided when you're trying to fit Ibarra, Kevin Molino, Lashim Kadri in there. And then you've got uh, Christian Ramirez that realistically needs to to start as well given the money he's on and it just again it just doesn't make a, a lot of sense whereas you draw a very stark comparison to to Atlanta who seem really well organized and well put together it's not just Almiron and Martinez it's everyone from Chris McCann to the defense with Tyrone Mears that has MLS experience Greg Garza who's a, a U.S. international he picked up from Mexico they to me of the two look light years ahead of Minnesota in terms of trying to get into the playoffs in their first season. Now, Minnesota have already earned an unfortunate record as the worst start from an expansion side in MLS history. They need defenders, but they don't have international spots to play with, so they're going to have to find people domestically, which will be quite difficult because, as with any situation like this, MLS clubs are going to know that and they're going to make it as difficult to trade with them as possible. So 
maybe Adrian Heath switches into a back three and tries something a bit different that may work for Demidov and, and the guys around him. But at this point, it looks like it's going to be a very difficult season for Minnesota as it stands. Whereas Atlanta, you've already seen the potential in that one day because they, their goals were brilliant goals and their play on what was a snow-laden uh, pitch was actually quite impressive. And even against the Red Bulls the previous week, their play had some real peaks to it. Um, the defending were the Valleys, obviously, um, and they, they ended up losing. But I'm very excited by Atlanta, and I think Carlos Bocanegra deserves a lot of credit for, for putting that together the way that he has. Also, this weekend, uh, the New York Red Bulls maintained their 100% start to the season, Chris. Yeah, they they couldn't uh, they couldn't find a way past Tim Howard in, in goal, but um, one of his own teammates could. It was yeah, it's a, it's a funny one with the Red Bulls. They've had a sort of a quite topsy turvy start to the season because they went out to Vancouver in the Concacaf Champions League quite meekly, but you would say they've had a perfect start in MLS. Um, they've beat Atlanta for in a come behind victory that was showed a lot of character. I think Daniel Royer is looking at quite a good signing now that he's had time to, to bet in. Um, I think the the only concern you have when you look at their squad is the possibility of Bradley Wright Phillips getting injured or possibly one of their centre-backs getting injured because Gideon Barr, who they signed from HJK Helsinki last season, is on the, the season-ending injury list or something along. Though it's that some... Something phrased like that. Anyway, he's out for the season, as much to say. So they need a centre-back, realistically. Um, they've got a lot of space and money to play with, which is re- really handy. And they've obviously got the the benefit of re- resources of Red Bull. It's just how they get that deal done. Um, they let go of Ali Curtis, the sporting director, in the summer. So even though they replaced him with Dennis Hamlet, who is one of the coaching staff, you have to think Jesse Marsh is making a lot of the decisions now. And that is a very bold move from, from that club, especially when you consider that they traded Dax McCarty, who was the, the team's captain, to Chicago. So there's been a lot of change there. And I think with that change will come um, some awkward growing pains at points, but you can't fault their start in the league. It's, it's been all you could really ask for. In the Western Conference, Houston also boasts 100% start, Chris, after beating Columbus Crew. Oh, man, do they look exciting. Um, they have a, a Mexican striker called Kubo Torres who does a, a robot dance when he scores. Um, unfortunately, he didn't do it a lot when he first signed for Houston because he didn't score goals. Um, and he, it was really weird. He he went from being one of the most, if not the most promising striker in MLS with Chief Pass USA to looking like one of the biggest busts in MLS history. He's come back. He's playing with, I would say, a lot more vibrant attack players that want to move, create, do those kind of things. And he looks a totally different player under Wilma Cabrera, who's the, the new coach. Um, I've heard some good things about Cabrera. He worked with their affiliate side, um, Rio Grande. And the early signs are very positive. Um, just in terms of their ability to attack and score goals, they had Owen Coyle as their coach, obviously, last season. And he had some good results, but overall it was kind of meh. To be, to be honest, and I have a lot of time for, for Owen. He's a very nice guy. I think he'll admit himself that they just didn't go the way that he or the club wanted. Um, but in Cabrera, they've got this kind of fresh, exciting, new, young face to, to take them forward. And I think, honestly, he, he's the kind of person that will 
connect very well with that squad, which is is quite Hispanic and, and quite Latin, um, and just will will ultimately give FC Dallas a bit of a, a rival now in Texas. Any other teams or players we should be keeping an eye on, Chris, that have impressed you after after week two? Well, like I said, I would have said Atlanta, but just because of how devastating they look in the final third and how quickly they fall on the teams that they face. Um, for me personally, there's players that kind of stand out, but I think keep an eye on Chicago this year because last season it was a real bust, and I was I was very excited about Velko Panovic who uh, took Serbia to the Under Twenty World Cup and actually won it with them. He's a very modern coach. He uses social media to to talk to his players when he was at Serbia and, and just thinks about the game in a very intelligent way. But his first season was a real bust. And I think the the GM, the, the, the front office at, at Chicago kind of sat down and accepted the squad wasn't good enough. So they went and they got MLS-ready players. So they brought Janino, who was at Galaxy, Dax McCarty, who we talked about from Red Bulls. And they just look like a much more solid side now. I don't think they're close to to being at their potential. I think they're still a good way to go, but they're difficult to beat. I don't think you could have said that about them last year. Before we go, guys, it is time for Player of the Week. As always, uh, we asked you who should be nominated this week for the three coveted positions of Player of the Week. Uh, N'Golo Kante, nominated alongside Son Heung-min, and Ava Benega sharing with Mara Ricardi uh, for their two hat-tricks against Atalanta for Inter Milan. Unfortunately, in last place is Son Heung-min, just 21% of the oh. vote, despite his first hat-trick for Spurs in the FA He should have won on the grounds of Karma, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, second place... Oh, Karma ran over my dogma. Second place is Ava Benega and Mara Ricardi sharing the honour. They do not, however, get to share those Ferrero Rocher dispossessed by the one and only Ingolo Kante 45% of the vote going to the Frenchman after his performance in the FA Cup quarterfinals uh, the decisive goal against Manchester United well deserved I think you know it's, sure. uh, it's uh, over the season as well you know he deserves a box of Ferrero Rocher at some point I mean to go alongside his undoubted collection of silverware they'll have at the end of the season. Uh, the pick, uh, many people shout for PFA Player of the Year, Player of the Year, Football Writer, Football Writers Player of the Year as well. So um, I'm sure the Ferrero Rocher will be taking pride of place alongside that. Uh, and Golo, if you want that, just uh, get in touch, mate, and we'll get that sent out to you. Uh, for now, though, wow. Someone was about to play some memes, I think. Oh. For now, though, it's meantime. <laughs> Adam, why don't we make it... Uh, why, um, I think as a podcast, we need to do a video where we make up a special handshake like they all have at Spurs. Oh, yeah, they've all got ridiculous handshakes, haven't they? I don't know. How this time, that as a podcast, we had a secret handshake. Do we like the handshakes, though, or do we think, hmm, you know, we've got better uses of our time, you know? I personally I've like I've got handshakes. a special handshake. Lasts about two minutes, and you've got to do it in the dark. Uh, <laughs> never say that well, now, to I small to, now I have to put um, the explicit label on this podcast Chris thanks I don't think we do <laughs> I think 
Or just try uh, it out whenever I'm not too fussed. I just I saw the opportunity do... for a bad, really bad joke. I want to do. I want to do a handshake, Adam. Can we do? Yes. I, I don't mean Chris's. Guys, <laughs> thank you so much for listening to the front three this week. Uh, Chris Hennage, it's been a pleasure as always to share my Monday evening with you. Uh, where can the listeners find more of you before Thursday's Q and A podcast? Uh, on Twitter at k h e n e a g e. I am currently in the midst of doing something for ITV on Leroy Sane. Um, and yeah, that should be fun. Mm. And from the front three, he does some good tweets from there as he well. He does indeed. Lawrence, where can people be finding your face, words, and musings before Thursday? Mm-hmm. Uh, we've, well, we've already shot one vlog. Uh, there is another good vlog. Probably, you know what, there might be two, maybe even three vlogs up this oh. week. Um, the front three. I'm trying to get them all out. Um one of them will be titled, and this is a little uh, preview for you, uh, Cutaways for Conte. Ooh, I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, guys, make sure you go and follow Statman Dave on Twitter. Uh, make sure you Statman check out Dave. the Statman Dave Football Podcast as well, coming fresh into your ears daily, uh, of course. Um, and like a secret handshake. At Adam Potwood. Do follow me there for sporadic but yet highly amusing tweets. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Until Thursday, guys, enjoy your week and enjoy the Champions League football.